I said to you that tonight I wanted to take a moment to spend in grieving and mourning, not because Christ is dead, but it's because it's important for us to remember often the purpose of the cross. What was the point of the cross? I've had a great tension as a pastor and also as a believer to realize that many people call themselves Christians, all right? Hold on for a second. Many people call themselves Christians but have no idea who Jesus is. Today in my office, I was allowed to leave early. We had a one o'clock dismissal. But there's this one guy, the reason for why I know that God has sent me to that job. And today he decided to say that he wasn't sure that Jesus was God after eight years of discipleship. And at one o'clock I realized that I could not go home. And for an hour I spoke to him about our Lord Jesus Christ and why today was so important. Today I don't want to think, I don't want us to think collectively about the resurrection of Christ, which we know that he is risen. I pray that you are assured of that, where there are many other religions with other prophets and other key figures who are all in the ground, who are all made dust now, Christ is not one of them. So be assured of that. Tonight, what I want us to consider is the death of Jesus. It's gruesome. It's bloody. It's hurtful, but you need to know the truth of it all. It hurt him. It punctured him. It concussed him. And for what? It was for love. I have a cross behind me right now. Obviously not the cross that Jesus died on, but symbolic of that. Before Constantine, the crucifixion was very popular as a way to kill people who would oppress the government, who were worthy of punishment through the political systems and empirical systems of the time. And it was Constantine, after he came to realize that Jesus Christ was Lord, that he stopped that as a punishment. But the cross itself was meant to be the most gruesome type of punishment. And Jesus lasted about three hours hanging on that tree, unable to breathe, nailed to, a pieces, of, to pieces of wood from his hands and also his feet while bearing his body. And Jesus wasn't a small man. Hanging all of the weight of his hands, all of the weight of his body on his hands and his feet. I invite you to try to figure out what that pain feels like. Tonight, I want us to regard, don't look at me, look at the cross behind me. That 2,000 years ago, a man decided that it was the time that the assignment had begun for him to bring himself in surrender to die for you and for me. It hurts, it's painful. And may it crush our hearts, but not just today, every day, 
Every day, let's remember Easter. Every day, let's remember Good Friday. And may it bring tears to your eyes to realize that you are not deserving of what happened on Good Friday. None of us deserve what he did. None of us. But it had to be done. It was an expression of extravagant love. Something that many of us think we know, but we don't really. That's why we fight with one another. That's why we go from church to church looking for somebody to preach what we want to hear. That's why it's hard for us to commit and say, you know what? I don't know what I'm good at, but I want to serve the Lord. That's why a lot of us need people to beg us to do something to serve his mission. Because we haven't understood what extravagant love means. And extravagant love means absolute sacrifice. And if it means having to come to church on a Friday night, then it's what it means. And if it means doing two services on an Easter Sunday for our volunteers, praise the Lord for you, that's what it means. It's the least we can do because somebody hung on a cross for you and for me. So what happened on that night is that he felt betrayal, like Kathleen said. He felt abandoned. He was forsaken. There were moments of prayerful brokenness that Jesus experienced, even leading up to the cross. Think about this. I need you to understand this. It was what we're commemorating is the Passover Friday, where perhaps some of us think that the events of Holy Week, where they seem so far apart, don't they? That where Jesus is betrayed, he is then condemned to die, and then goes and hangs on a cross, where it takes about three hours for him to finally take his last breath. It was one day. Because early this morning, he would have been betrayed by Judas. And throughout the day, it was that easy. Remember what we talked about on Sunday? It was that easy for people to turn their hearts sour against Christ, where they celebrated him on Sunday, but by Friday, they shouted that he should be crucified, crucified, but don't get it twisted. Don't be confused about the fact that when he went on the cross was to die and finish the work, but it was a day of torture. Lashes on his back with pellets on the end of leather strings ripping his flesh apart. He was bloodied. You could barely recognize him. And who watched all of this? It was his mother. And those, the remnant. For us as Christians, we need to remember that word of the remnant. When you invite the church to pray, who shows up? It's a remnant. When you invite the church to study scripture, who shows up? The remnant. Because we could have 100 people here on a Sunday, but 20 people in a Bible study. We need to see that. This is the church, though, of modern time, and not even modern time, of all history. People who want the goods that God provided, but are unwilling to invest their own discomfort and time into the things of the Father. After Jesus was condemned to die earlier in the day on that Good Friday, he was forced to carry his own cross. So not only was he going to hang from it, but he also had to grab a heavy piece of wood 
and carry it through something that is still called famously the Via Dolorosa or the way of suffering. His body was beaten while he was doing this. His back was already destroyed, but he had garments on. Can you imagine how that feels? Has anyone ever had a bad burn? I've had third-degree burn on my back. My entire back, the skin falling off, and the worst thing was to put a shirt on that. The burn. But Jesus had his royal, right? They, They were mocking him, his royal tunics thrown on his bloody body. Walking down the Via Dolorosa with, of course, his royal crown of thorns that were puncturing his head. He was concussed. He was beat over the head. And on top of that, he was pierced, not just by the nails, but by the thorns on his crown. I need us to understand this. While on the cross, Jesus' ministry continued, even though death was imminent. And it didn't keep him from continuing to fight for you and for me, even though every single breath was getting harder and harder and harder. And there were seven sayings. And if you grew up in the church, perhaps you've heard these seven sayings, but I want to share them with you tonight. There were seven final sayings that Jesus says, which is something perhaps that I would consider his final sermon while he's hanging with his arms wide apart and his feet nailed to this cross. This is his final sermon of seven sayings. The first one, he says to God the Father, his Father, in Luke chapter 20, 34, we see this. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 23, verse 34, it reads, And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. It was my sins and your sins that brought Jesus to that cross. I was watching a movie the other day that they said, you know, the reason I don't like Jews is because they killed Christ. False. You and me killed Christ. We each and our sins that we were racking up and the debt that we could never satisfy is what brought Jesus to that cross. But on that day, Pontius Pilate appealed to the crowd on what he should do with Jesus. Remember, because he knew something was wrong. And he says, I'm going to wash my hands of this. I'm going to leave it up to you, the people, to decide. And what did the people decide? Crucify him. We should carry that burden that the reason for why we even celebrate Easter today is because we brought him there. It was something that he had to do. So when we think about the cross, we shouldn't think about people just disliking Jesus and punishing him for being the rightful king. No, they were all part of the assignment that Jesus was born. This was written before time. God in all his goodness and all his holiness, this is where we struggle. The holiness of God is not negotiable. God is going to bless this house here at One Life. He is blessing this house here at One Life. But what we need to figure out now and be completely convinced about is that holiness is not negotiable. 
When Jesus enters our lives and we have that moment of repentance, it means that we are no longer the same. If you are somebody who constantly finds yourself in and out and in and out of God's way, it's because you haven't repented. It's because you haven't looked at him and said, I need to change. I receive you. Because when he finally enters us, through his Holy Spirit, he makes a way. Tears everything down. And we are made what? Brand new. But how is that possible if we don't stop the acts of unholiness that we're engaged in? And listen, I include myself in that. That doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. Because he died for a reason. He died because he knew I wasn't born 2,000 years ago, but he knew that in 2,000 years, Isaac was going to be a knucklehead. And that he would need to satisfy even the sins of the future because mankind, to him, was worth it. So I don't mean to stand up here and beat you down and tell you you're a bad person, but good is his. He determines what good is. And somehow, in his incredible compassion, he said, they're worth it. You're worth it. If you're somebody who struggles, even in your own person, your self-esteem, your anxiety, you are worth it. And that's what we celebrate today. We look at the cross and we mourn and we grieve. How could somebody, we said this on Sunday, why would you do this for me? I don't deserve that. To the good thief, he says, as he's hanging on that cross, there were two other crosses next to him, right? To the good thief, seems like an oxymoron, he says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Can you bring up that verse for me? In Luke Chapter 23, verse 43, he says, And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I'm giving you these verses because I want you to take them home. Write them down. Staple them to your wall. These powerful sayings. The thief led a life of what? Of misery and sinfulness. In a list of the undeserving, perhaps he was pretty high. But what Jesus saw in the good thief was greater than what you and I would see in him. Because we're quick to say, you know what? I don't think that what he does as a thief is something that is worth or deserving of someone to die for him. But Jesus was able to see beyond that. And he says, today you will see me or be with me in paradise. To marry his mother, he says, woman, behold your son. And to John, he says, behold your mother. Though this was the worst human pain that Jesus could feel, Jesus, at the moment, while he is on assignment, he feels concerned for his mother. What a beautiful moment of seeing Jesus in his humanity. This is not something that will kind of blow our minds. It's just a son regarding his mother, his mommy. She birthed him. She went through pain for him. And while he's fixing the debt of humanity, he looks at his mom and says, Mom, behold your son. And he looks at John. And this was the funny thing about why he told John that because of all the apostles at the time, John was the only brave one that was present. 
And so he looks at John, John, behold your mother. So before I leave, he was setting the table so that everybody would be okay, even his mom. To God again, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or in Aramaic, it's Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we might think, why would God see his son and forget him? And the reason for why is because of God's holiness. Jesus had the assignment. He came to this earth only to die. He did amazing works, miracles, works, and wonders, but that was because of his compassion. His assignment was death to satisfy the penalty of sin of all of humanity. So as Jesus is hanging on this cross, he is absorbing all of sin, past, present, and future. And so what happens? God, because he is holy, cannot even look upon his son. We like to think that even when we are in a space of lack of holiness and sinfulness, that God is still somehow going to be our magic genie, false. He cannot be in the presence of sin. So even some of us, you know, will be bathed in sin with no regard and no intention of being repentant about the things we're doing wrong. And then we dare ask somebody to pray for us. We dare go and bend the knee and ask God to give us this, 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 and that. Oh, I can't, I can't even look upon my son. This is the proof. As Jesus is absorbing the sin of the world, he cannot even look at his son. But don't misunderstand me. Because when your heart is making an intentional decision to run back to the Father, he knows not to read your lips, he knows to read your heart. Because our lips might want to say, Lord, 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 but our heart knows it's going to go right back. It says like a dog returns to his throw up. So is the unrepentant and the sinful heart, right? Oh, I'm going to say this because I know this is what I should be saying, but I really don't want to let go of that person I know I don't belong with. I really don't want to let go of that job that I know that he told me to leave, but I, I really like it, and, and there's a lot of money there, and you know, I know he told me to abandon some stuff in my past, but you know, if, I say, if I say this with my lips, perhaps he'll give me the courage to do what I need to do false. No, he wants us to be obedient. I told you what to do. And this is what Jesus did. He hung on that cross because he was obedient. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God had turned his eyes away from his loving son. To all of us, he says, I thirst. Jesus was in his flesh at the moment, absorbing all of sin. And so I can only assume that after a day of so many things happening to him, to minimize it, he might have thirsted a little bit, right? He might have been a little parched, especially hanging on the cross. He says, I thirst. This was his last moment of human need. His body was starting to give up. It was starting to break down, and so his thirst was a physical thirst. But this is what's key. As I'm speaking, try to picture this. 
What do they get? On one of the spears, they get a sponge, and they soak it in sour wine and hyssop, right? And then they reach up to try to feed, to try to give Jesus this drink. But the thing about sour wine and hyssop is this. It's a sedative. It wasn't to quench his thirst. It was a moment of compassion, perhaps, that these soldiers had to help him not feel all that he was feeling. And then it says that he tasted it and rejected it because part of the assignment was for him to suffer. So he couldn't have a sedative. Because that would have messed up everything. He wanted to suffer so that you and I would not suffer. And he didn't want to take shortcuts. For those of you who are mothers, perhaps you made a decision when you were going to have your children to not get a needle in your back. Because you didn't know what that might do. We had a similar experience with my wife. She said, no, I don't want to damage. I don't want to hurt my children. So I'd rather take the pain. Jesus said, no, I need to go through this suffering so that my children won't experience that. Wow. The point is that our sinful acts, they have consequences. And just like David, God forgave him, but there was still consequence. He didn't remove the sword from within his house. Other people had to pay for what he had done wrong. So he got the forgiveness. He needed to absorb the suffering. So he says, I thirst. But that thirst wouldn't be satisfied. To the world, God said, Jesus says, it is finished. Not only was the process of his sacrifice finishing as he stepped into death, but the absorption and satisfaction of the debt of sin was finished. He didn't need help. He didn't need us to try to prove to one another that we're good, we're good people. I help old ladies cross the street. I give to the needy. I go to the, to the soup kitchen often and I do good things. No, that's not, that's not what qualifies us as Christians. All you need to do is believe that I am Lord and King and live in a way that proves that. The debt of sin was once and for all paid for all eternity and it didn't require our help. If anything, like Kathleen said, we would crucify him afresh if we had the opportunity. When we deny him still. Because when we look at the cross, and this is the message for Sunday, the cross is, is offensive. So it's easier to assume like, nah, just, I think they, they over-dramatize perhaps what happened on the cross. Death is death. Nails are nails. You can't over-dramatize Four-inch nails through your hands. He needed to suffer so that he could satisfy and then look at us and say, it is finished. And finally to God, he says, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Check out the key here. I commend my spirit. This was voluntary. Everybody played a part in God's plan. 
for God, which we also see this in the prophecies in Isaiah and even in Psalm, that he had to make a decision to crush his, his son. They thought that they had power. And even the people, perhaps, when they said crucify him, but no, they were all part of the plan. This needed to happen. And as he approaches death, he says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. He died and still had all the authority. Praise God. It was time to go back home to be with the Father. All this pain and suffering wasn't forever. And that brings us, right? So what happens between now and Sunday is that Jesus is just beginning. He dies in the flesh, but he's about to enter hell to fight a battle. So that it doesn't end just on the cross. He satisfies sin and the consequence of sin on the cross. But tomorrow what happens is that he is facing the devil himself and showing him once and for all that he will win the battle forever. I wish we were the ones that had to fight that battle. You guys are like, like I'm, hey, I don't want to do that. And I'm not going to have to. On Saturday, he goes wild on the devil. It says that once he dies, the earth goes dark. And his last words to be, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Again, all authority was still in his hands. So talk about the little issues that you and I have and that we go through in our lives. And we think that it's the end of the world. Jesus was dying. And he still controlled the world. Jesus was dead. And he still made darkness fall all on the earth. Let us regard this Good Friday. The work that was done was good. The pain that he went through was real. It was dark, but it was a setup. It was setting him up for us to have eternal life. And it was a setup for him to be risen and once and for all to prove to the doubters, in case you didn't trust that I was God, you will not find my body. And when they went looking for that body, what did they find? Nothing. Folded sheets. It's finished. My job is done here. The cross was heavy, friends. The cross was heavy. I don't ever want us to think that we deserved what happened that day. We don't. And even till today, that power is strong. And if you are someone today, bow your heads. If you're someone sitting in the house today and you doubt the power of Jesus Christ Almighty, and perhaps as I'm speaking, you are unsure that what I'm saying actually happened, I invite you to taste and see his power. The hardest part of preaching is sometimes feeling like we need to convince people to receive Jesus Christ, and that's not my job. If you, have hear, if you have ears to hear, you will hear. 
And I know that there is somebody, at least one person in this room tonight who knows that there's much left in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Your absence is loud. Your goodness is not good enough because even Paul said about his own goodness. He says, if you think you're good, look at how good I am. And he starts listing all of the things he's done good or done right and that he's done for Christ. And then at the end, he says that I regard it as rubbish, which the translation is manure. All my goodness, and I think we can all agree that Paul probably did better things for the gospel than we did, right? He says, at the end of it all, I regard it as manure. So our goodness is still worth nothing aside to God. And the invitation tonight is not for religion. It's not. It is a dedication of ourselves, a covenant between us and Christ to walk into suffering with him. The battle's already won. And if the worst thing that can happen to us is that we die, we get the consequence or we get the result of paradise because we've trusted in him. If you're someone right now who's still kind of in balance, if you're absent from the presence of God often, I want to invite you back to the cross. I want to invite you to nail your own sin and even your own absence to the cross. And I'm not going to try to convince you. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do that. So can we just, can we just stand to your feet with me? And if there's anybody who would like prayer, then you're welcome to come up to the front here and we will pray for you. But can we just share in one minute of silence as we remember the cross and what Christ did for us on that Good Friday?